0: Hi, I'm Jeremy Ullman, and this is Abstract, a podcast where I'll be interviewing graduate students to learn about their research in a way that makes it accessible, bringing into the discussion aspects that are fun but challenging, covering a day in the life, and also just throwing around cool theories and groundbreaking findings that they've come across in their readings. My goal here is to tap into the wealth of information swirling around graduate students' minds, culminating from months to even years of research and reading. We're going to harness that knowledge together, one episode at a time. Before we hop into things, I think it's important to mention that our guest today, Austin Trudeau, is the second abstract guest to own a business. So Austin's going to be able to bring some pretty cool insight into play in today's discussion. Of course, he's got his own research going on in his master's degree, so the experience that he has with business is going to be invaluable, and the parallels that we draw between those two experiences that he has on a daily and weekly basis are also going to pay dividends to the listener, you. So, some of the topics and themes you can expect to hear on today's episode are mindset, perspective, and time management. We dive into Austin's thesis, of course, which discusses sexual imagery and the impact that it has on your ability to make financial decisions and other decisions. We also discuss how people assign different amounts of subjective worth to different kinds of products and goods and the kind of effects that that has on our purchasing behavior. And we really zone in on this idea of delayed discounting. There are tons of incredible pearls of wisdom that Austin has to give to us on today's episode. So I don't want to give any more away. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. My guest today is Austin Trudeau. He is a Canadian business owner and marketing graduate student. Raised as an Anglophone Quebecer from Chelsea, Quebec, Austin attributes the path of his life to the relationships he's been fortunate enough to have with family, friends, and mentors. Namely, with both his mother and father, and the obstacles they have overcome together. Having dealt with the plethora of direct and indirect effects of having a father with a traumatic brain injury while growing up, Austin learned high-level communication skills as a young child after hundreds of hours of occupational therapy meetings with his father. While concurrently observing his hardworking and dedicated mother work up to three jobs at a time to make ends meet for him and his young sister. Austin realized the impact of money on people's livelihood and health. This led Austin to, at 19 years old, after having worked as a residential house painter for two summers to fund his education, purchase the painting company he worked for. Three years later, he has done over $700,000 in revenue and transformed over 200 homes in his hometown in rural Utawe. Most notably, he's paid out over $250,000 in student wages to 21 hardworking and driven university students over the past three years. New this year in 2020, Austin has also taken on the additional role of coaching and consulting for five first-time business owners in his industry, teaching them the ins and outs of how to launch and grow their first profitable business. After growing up in a unique family dynamic with a particularly dense understanding of human behavior and traumatic brain injuries... This led Austin, naturally, to further pursue the study of psychology, where he graduated on the dean's list and is currently doing a master's degree in consumer behavior and marketing at the John Molson School of Business, right here in Montreal, at Concordia University. His area of research focuses on emotional decision-making in advertising. He, along with another PhD researcher at JMSB, are developing a model to effectively audit how effective an advertisement is at swaying one's decision-making mechanisms using sexual imagery. In essence, they aim to answer the question, actually, how effective are 90% naked attractive models in increasing the likelihood that you buy that swimsuit? Austin is most interested in the study of how one's mindset, perspective, and time management ability ultimately determine their course of life. He truly believes that you are an average of the five people you spend the most time with and he is truly proud to list his five and now he's spending his time with us here on abstract so without further ado let's <laughs> welcome austin to the podcast austin how's it going
1: not bad how are you jeremy thanks for having me
0: absolute pleasure I, th- I think the listeners should know right off the bat the reason why this conversation is happening right now and actually why this podcast exists is because about three months ago i started listening to your podcast and it not only inspired me to affect A number of changes in my own life, but also to start my own podcast and to start spreading knowledge in accessible ways, which is really what my own personal goal is in life. So
1: I really, uh, it's really nice to hear you say that it really warms my heart. I have had a few people reach out to me and say that, you know, they're actually getting something out of our podcast, which is, which is great. And, and, you know, the, the, the story of how that started is, is actually quite similar to, to why, you know, abstract is now a podcast. And I think that it, it really, it really does, uh, listeners some justice to be able to show them how these things really come about. Because although while your podcast and mine relative to the podcast industry, which is huge now and growing every day, it seems like it is seemingly small. Uh, it is very important to list just how things like this come to be. Cause I think Jeremy, like it, it really, really, um, you know, makes me reflect positively on my initiative that I had to start my podcast, the fact that I had an impact on, on on any any impact of you starting this, which is great, because I absolutely love this initiative of you interviewing graduate students about their research, because there's so many interesting intellectuals that are researching so many interesting things that kind of just, you know, they get asked about things at dinner parties, and they're there's like this, mm-hmm, for or with sure. your parents. Like, I think a lot of graduate students don't even their parents don't even quite know what they're doing. <laughs> you know, like, I would say like, that yeah, like, pretty much applies to me. Yeah, yeah, and and so like you know even your parents can't even explain what you're doing. And I think that like graduate student to graduate student, it really is important to really discuss why you're researching something and and what you're doing it for because usually the reasons why behind are so interesting, right? And I love the fact that you know you've I've listened to the few podcasts you've released so far, and I really appreciated that. And you know my podcast started as just a weekly accountability call with two other business owners that I knew in my industry, because we sure. found that we were both, we we're all highly competitive and we needed that network to exist for us to like friendly compete with each other. And we started these Sunday night calls where heading into the week, we would just have this accountability call it would last about an hour on Sundays at 9 PM right before we went to bed and it would just fire us up for, for Monday mornings and, and go to ha- and just go to go have a killer week. So we did it for about a year and it helped all of us grow our businesses significantly from one year to the next. And we said, Hey, you know what? Like, I'm sure that other business owners would love to have this in their life. And, and, and not even as a part, cause obviously if they listen to the podcast, they're not a part of the actual conversation, but they can see what's possible because of the impact and to know that this was possible because of that impact was really great.
0: So the fact that you said actually that the listener is not part of the conversation, I mean, as, as somebody who is a proud listener of all 44 episodes, uh, or I think uh, 45, nice. including episode zero, um, <laughs> while, while I don't really ever consider myself part of the conversation, I think continuing to return back to the same people discussing similar topics, you do get yeah. a sense that you're, you're, you're building the same knowledge base that the discussion is kind of occurring over. So sure. th- there is an element of immersion in that sense. So yeah, and, and sure. I- I've also seen that on social media, you in, and at the end of every episode, you'll encourage people to ask questions and to poke and prod and call you out for things. So that level of engagement thinking, also yeah. helps. Um,
1: so. Yeah, and, and that goes hand in hand with your platform because I think you know, if you look up the reason for why universities began in the first place, it's for, for critical thought and challenging ways of thinking. You know, and I thought and it was to make money
0: because it's a capitalist machine. <laughs> we need make yeah, fill it
1: fill an auditorium full of yeah, fill an auditorium full of six hundred kids and have them all take multiple choice exams and then uh, yeah, no, but I, I think
0: that talk fifty thousand. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah. (laughs) i don't think a lot of montrealers
0: know this but concordia actually has a larger student body than mcgill does not trying to compare for the sake of comparing but it is yeah but
1: to that mcgill would say well more prestigious we have less people right uh, and concordia can suck it yeah exactly and you've done both right so you uh, you, you went from mcgill to concordia so yeah you can all you can answer that question uh jeremy which one's better
0: (laughs) which one's better obviously very very different experience as a graduate yeah
1: yeah apples and oranges
0: Yeah. So we shan't compare Uh, any longer.
1: Yeah. And and I think that like, what I, what I ask for at the end of my podcasts is not for people to like, you know, well, if they do, that's fine too. But like, light us up in the DMS, like, Hey, you guys suck. Like, this is a total, you know, diversion of what the topic was really meant to be spoken about. And like, it's just the idea of (laughs) that's never happened, but just to kind of share, like it's the idea of generating critical thought and, and getting people to, mentioning topics that are actually quite personal. And although we're a business podcast, we really don't talk a lot about business. We talk a lot about psychology, philosophy, ways of thinking, communication styles, expectation setting. And what I found in, in operating my business is really just that there's no more true saying than this, at least for me, when it comes to running a business, you are, or sorry, your business is a reflection of you. Like it if you're an unorganized person, your business is unorganized. If you struggle with communication and your relationships in your personal life, your business will have poor expectations set with employees and clients. Like, obviously that sounds very intuitive. Okay. Well you run your business. If you, if you're not good at these things, then neither will your business. But yeah, as obvious as that may sound, it just expresses itself in different ways, right? So if you're unorganized and you have a messy room, then your profitability is lower, right? Like it, it, it's just, it's a matter of, those things maybe not go synonymously right away, but they directly lead to one another. And so challenging that way of thinking and also just talking about, you know, how to manage time effectively, how to set expectations with clients and how to really just manage a good vehicle is, is really the, the basis of our podcast called the, well, it's, it's called the weekly call uh, because it, it started out as a weekly call. So uh, like jeremy's we're, we're available on on all the similar platforms, so I mean, and like abstract, I should say, so yeah, no, thanks for mentioning that man it's it's been a, it's been a it's been a great go so far, and we're we're definitely Absolutely. just beginning so, i would, yeah.
0: i mean as an as an outsider, just uh, to try and be unbiased, obviously you 're going to talk your podcast stuff like it 's the talk of the town, uh, which it should be because it's because it 's great, but like you said, it isn 't explicitly about business, and that 's partly why I like it is because i 'm not necessarily business minded or immediately looking to run my own business, but there is something in there for everybody, whether it's uh, mm-hmm. discussions about stoic philosophy or about, uh, you know, getting to the real estate market or time management. You know, these are, these are things that might kind of strike interest with pretty much any listener, in my opinion, just across the board. There is one final thing that I'll say before we, uh, before we slightly slide into the yeah. more research focused conversation, which is part of your podcast, at least from, uh, at the beginning, you spend a good amount of time I mean, not, not half the podcast, but with, with quite high frequency in your episodes, mentioning that people who listen should consider starting their own weekly call. And so yeah. that kind of like, it was almost like subliminal messaging, where every once in a while as a listener, wait a second, I'm supposed to do something? So there was this call <laughs> yeah. to action yeah. where even if the listeners not part of the conversation, you're still kind of talking to the listener saying, hey, like, don't just, don't just sit and stare off while this plays passively into your ears. Think about what you're listening to try and affect the kind of change that we're trying to do in our lives and it was it was it almost has this pseudo motivational inspirational element to it so speaking of motivation and and inspiration was there like one particular person who i guess their their life path matches as closely as you can imagine to what you would want your life path to be or at least someone who kind of led Mm. you to take on
1: this master's degree so from an academic standpoint not Really, I, I actually, <laughs> a, a lot of the basic relationships I had in my undergrad, have. if I'm looking back retroactively, those are the things that the relationships I built in my undergrad were one thing, were, were, were arguably the most important part of, of how I actually got to pursuing this master's degree, because I actually have a lot of people like, well, mainly one person that actually introduced me to the people I'm working with in my lab. So I was sitting in I mean I'm assuming Concordia students listen to this podcast so and, and maybe sure. even yeah and maybe even some psychology students so I was sitting in uh psych 311 which is like the research methods 2 so you have to take it to do a thesis in your undergrad level and um sitting next to a guy named Brandon who I didn't quite know too well and and after a few classes we got to know each other we were talking about how he was in a lab already. And I was like, Oh wow. Okay. Well, I'm already in in like second year, I think. And I wasn't in a lab. And I was like, Ooh. you know, are there any spots left in your lab? And Which lab was, was like, that? Yeah, this was Aaron Johnson's lab. It's the Vision okay. lab at Concordia. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, so there is a few spots left. My supervisor was really great. And uh, I'll, I'll, why don't I just introduce you to him? And I was like, wow, that was altruistic of you. Like, I, I didn't expect you to do that at all. And so huge shout out to Brandon uh, Nichols, because he's just, you know, huge thank you to him I, I don't think i would have had the relationships i had in in academia without that conversation that day in 311 that's so, great yeah and then you know the next you know the meeting that i had with aaron initially you know i, I thought it was almost like I, I wasn't sure what it was it was like is this a lab interview is this a job interview like, like what, what do i what do i do so i just like showed up i had like my resume He <laughs> <You> put it <laughs> in his face like, yeah, yeah and he was like he's like Uh, I don't need that. Like, I'm just here to talk to you. I want to know you. And I was like, okay, cool, cool. Uh, did you shred the
0: resume right in front of me?
1: Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then I just, we just chatted for like 50 minutes and he just sat down and he's like, you know, what are you interested in? Like, what do you want to study? What Mm -hmm. do you want to research? Why would you ever want to join a lab? I was like, yeah, I guess that's a good question. Um, (laughs) I mean, I knew that I wanted to go into business at that stage. I was like, 19 second year university and I was in psychology, but I, I could slowly see every semester that went by less and less motivated by clinical psychology, which is the whole reason I got into this because, you know, as you read in my intro was about my dad and I was, I was coming at psychology initially from a clinical standpoint. And as I did more of my degree, I realized that I just wasn't really, I, I wasn't really motivated by the courses that I took to in, in line with clinical. Mm-hmm. And uh, the more I took around organizational behavior and I took a, an elective at John Molson and marketing and I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I can, <laughs> I can totally see myself doing that. And I took an elective in management and then, you know, just in, in, in sort sort of personal finance and accounting and then uh, wow. organizational behavior and then, okay, well, okay, now I've already got like all these courses and you know, I got, I can't take any more electives at John Molson. Uh, and then totally flipped the dial the, there. You were full at the business psyched. school. Yeah. And then, but then I was sitting in that meeting with Aaron already having completed like maybe two or three business classes. And he asked me what I wanted to research. And I was like, well, I, I know you're not in the business school, but I really want to research, uh, business and, and marketing. And, and Aaron's like, okay, well we work directly with the marketing department at JMSB because they do a lot of research <laughs> with vision science with vision science, right? Like with, with product perception, product placement, sensory, a lot of research on sensory and, um, uh, you know, sensory perceptions of products and making sure that, uh, they can use the right facilities to actually research what they want to correctly with using, Mm -hmm. you know, the vision lab at Concordia and the psychology faculty had all of the, you know, um, you know, eye tracking software to be able to conduct these experiments in marketing at a, at a high degree, uh, of reliability, right? So it was very interesting that relationship because I would have never predicted that that would even be a thing. And so he just pulled this out of thin air. Actually. Yeah. And, and so he just like, wanted
0: to research business. And,
1: and I could have just said, you know, I want to research, you know, how, um, you know, age related macular degeneration leads to diabetes, you know, and, and that's like.
0: And his eyes would have lit up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and maybe it would have been a different story. But I just was like, Authentic with it, and I was like, I actually just want to research business. I, I I love the idea of of maybe owning a business one day or 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 being in business. And so, he said, well, you know, and he mentioned the relationship with with Doctor Bianca Groman, who's the chair of uh, that, that, well, she was, I believe, formerly the chair of marketing research at JMSB and is now my supervisor in my graduate degree. And so, you know, we right away partnered on a project. I was like, a you know, the undergraduate role, and and the thing with Bianca and Aaron is is those people, you know, my co-supervisor, Aaron, and my supervisor, Bianca, uh, those people are really the reason that I even had an opportunity in academia because I wasn't necessarily like the AA a plus student. You know, I had like a good GPA. Like I wasn't They're on the great, Dean's list. Dean's.
0: What's going on over here?
1: Yeah. I, at the end of my degree, I graduated on the Dean's list, but at the time, I really wasn't a Dean's list student. Like I graduated on the Dean's list, but I, at, mm-hmm. at the end, and then like the, the early and mid stage of my, of my career like i really am academic career like in my second semester of um of university i got like a 2.8 gpa like my my winter semester of my first year so i was just like living in res wasn't a great student right and um what kind of
0: switch was flipped by having these two people
1: in your life now well i had people that were looking at me like okay man like you're in a lab like you have to actually start putting in the work and actually Mm -hmm. you know taking the initial because the thing with working in a lab as an undergraduate student it's not a course it's just the initiative nope. that you take to be involved in, involve yourself in projects. So you're adding work to your plate every week. And, and the more that you right? bite off, yeah, it's volunteering work. And you're volunteering in the lab. So you're adding work to your plate. And it's almost like I realized that I was in a friendly, competitive atmosphere in the vision lab, right? Like there's so many intellectual people there that were taking on. I, I went to the first lab meeting and there were people raising their hand to take on work. And I was like, this is amazing. This is like the, the amount of, th- these are the people I want to hang out with. This is you amazing. Know, like, I don't yeah. have to do anything. They're just raising yeah. their hand for me. <laughs> this, is fat, this is the best lab ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, these people, these are the people I want to hang out with, you know? And so I did and a podcast on that full didn't affect on my own.
0: Your ability to get into a master's, the fact that you didn't have a thesis, just for listeners who well, are like, in their undergrad. It, it
1: was. Yeah. And that's a great question. So I know Concordia is a bit unique with this honors specialization setup. And I know that that exists in a couple of different faculties. I know like for sociology, psychology, and I, I'm sure a few others that I'm missing here have that kind of tier where it's, there's a major, it's like, takes up 42 credits of, of that concentration. Then there's a specialization which takes up 60 credits. And then there's the honors, which takes up, so I think 66. So if you're in a 90 credit degree in Quebec, or 120 credit degrees as a, a non quebecer at a Quebec university, the, essentially the more specialized you are, you need the higher grades to get into that concentration. However, more of your degree is reflective of the discipline you're trying to study. So as an honor student, you have like all the psychology classes you could possibly take plus three, I believe uh, classes around your thesis. And as a specialization student, you don't have those additional seminars, but you still have to actually write a thesis and do a full project. So right. I still had to on, on paper when I submitted theses or the thesis, uh, I still had to compute that and, and 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 write all of that, so and 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 do the whole project. And this is where Bianca and Aaron really came in huge because you know they let me you know reserve the testing facility at JMSB and really run my own experiment as an undergrad. Mm-hmm. Like it was it was it was truly truly a, a huge leap for me to be able to like design my whole study from the ground up, you know, and 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 be consulting with like really highly decorated academics in the field of decision-making, emotional decision-making and, and delayed discounting, which is the paradigm we use to measure the difference in decision-making mechanisms. And those two people have supervised in the supervisor position, like just totally the relationships I had with them were just so responsible for even thinking that a master's degree is possible because i'll tell you this coming out of sage up especially even coming out of high school like i was not a kid that would have done a master's degree like i think that it just wouldn't have worked if you would have asked me like hey would you have gone to graduate school or done a master's degree you know i think it wasn't that i was not necessarily a good student but i just didn't think that you know for me this master's degree was just up on such a huge pedestal like even even who put it
0: up there was it me for kind of sure. That sure
1: it was me yeah you were like what's that hundred percent it was me it was totally totally just a story I was telling myself Good. Right? okay you know now I'm halfway through uh my master's degree at John Molson and Bianca's my supervisor and I was actually just emailing her and Aaron this afternoon and kind of just trying to figure out what what a what a master's thesis is going to look like in a COVID-19 world
0: so uh do you still have all of your experiments to run or, or like some experiments to run yeah so
1: it really depends on the subject that we're researching in our, in our, in our, in our area of, 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 uh, expertise, I guess, in marketing, like, cause cause you know, marketing theses can be so, so different just like psychology, right? For like sure. yeah. Brandon just did his thesis on the impact of packaging and how like visual complexity of packaging influences consumer behavior, right? Like, mm-hmm. so that is so different from my, a thesis, which is how advertisements with sexual imagery impact one's ability to discount spending their money. Let's hear that one more time. How advertisements with sexual imagery impact one's ability to discount spending their money.
0: I would love to start kind of diving into some of the terminology that is really at the foundation of your research. So something that you, yeah. you've already spoken to me a little bit about your research, and we actually did come up with a whole project together. I guess the the phrase that comes to mind when I think of your research is delayed discounting. So I would love, if there's anything that our listeners can take away from today yeah. apart from the fact that, well, this, there's already been so much that that has been said, how would you describe delayed discounting in terms of a phenomenon in a way that anybody, even my Hungarian immigrant grandparents could understand?
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mr. And Mrs. Ullman. Uh, Let's, let's look over what delayed discounting means. So at a very basic level, you, in order to even start to explain delayed discounting, mm-hmm. you have to at least understand that from one person to another person, a might assign a different amount of subjective worth to a product or, or an item or an, or a physical thing than somebody else. Right. So mm-hmm. individual variability. Water Yeah. Very easy to understand. Of course, like, yeah you're not going to think equally across a species that right. every single object is worth the same. Okay. So in and of itself, people have different, what's called what delayed discounting calls subjective value or psychological value. Right. So sure. I have a different amount of psychological value for, uh, this iPhone than you do maybe. So yeah. it wouldn't be the exact same, right? Screw iPhone And what de- Yeah. What? (laughs) Screw iPhone. I don't, I don't like iPhone. I hate Uh, iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get into that. (laughs) Get the iPhone out of my
0: face. I Uh, want to see the iPhone. There
1: we go. So individual difference. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Prime example. Now what delayed discounting does is it just adds another parameter to that conversation and it's the parameter of time. So if I said, Jeremy, would you rather have one iPhone now or seven iPhones in two years?
0: neither
1: um <laughs> maybe you'd rather have fewer iPhones so you would <laughs> you would a, you would actually it, the the question wouldn't be tailored mm-hmm. to you
0: wait sorry um but le- again
1: <laughs> okay yeah, so yeah. would you rather have uh one iPhone now mm-hmm. or two iPhones in 7 years or maybe okay. i mixed up the very sure. sure. but yeah okay. so it's just the idea of would you rather have this now or more later sure and this is often referred to as like the the classic Stan- um, stanford that goes stanford no it's not stanford Harvard, maybe, uh, the, the marshmallow experiment. Okay. So delayed like the, 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 the kids, delayed gratification, exactly. So okay. it's, it's kind of in line with that, where you have, you know, one now, or, or, or a little bit, or an X amount now, mm-hmm. or more of that later. Right. And so when you ask somebody upwards of 20 of these questions in terms of variability, right? So then, you know, Jeremy, if I said, um, would you rather have one marshmallow now or four later, And then you know you say, I'll have one now. I go, okay, would you rather have one now or five later? And I keep going and going and going until you change your mind. What's later? And I I ask you. (laughs) That's what I want. Well, I want to like if I say, you know, so I can I can change two variables, right? I can change the amount I'm giving you and I can change the time delay. Perfect. So all of that encompasses what delayed discounting really aims to measure, which is how people change their mind about anything, given a subjective value and a time parameter. So it's about really weeding through the the mess of of data where you try to really understand when people flip when do people actually change their mind about something as a function of how how many how much they're getting or how soon or far away the time delay is okay and wait once you I have a question
0: yeah just because it, it is popped in, in my mind and i i haven't heard you mention this yet in any of the discussions we've previously had about delay discounting you're talking about giving me something and giving me more of something over time. How do people, maybe you don't know the answer to this yet, if it's not along the lines of your research, but do you know how people would react if, the, if what I'm giving you is actually something negative? So, for example, would you rather wait, just wait in this room alone, in a dead silent room for 10 minutes now, so it's funny or you say for that. an hour in two years
1: from now? So it's funny you say that, Jeremy, because while I might not necessarily give them that scenario where it's like a negative situation to be in, I am asking people as a marketer how much money they would spend. So I am asking people, would you rather spend,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: would you rather incur a cost? So this is what my thesis is really on. So would you rather incur a cost of $50 now or a hundred dollars in two years?
0: Right. This is basically just like, you know, how much interest are you willing as a marketer?
1: You have to study both. You have to look at the reward of the product, but you ultimately want to study the financial decision-making too, because this product doesn't come for free. Right. So you want to make sure, sure. (laughs) nor does an Android, unfortunately, but let's not get into that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, however you have to look at both sides of the coin as a marketer, right? So it's again, walking through this path of how much money are my consumers willing to spend and how much do they think our product is worth? And so the, pricing aspect of marketing is very important as well. And, and um, it's probably one of my favorite topics about actually studying, studying like the financial decision-making as a marketer. That's, that's, you know, my why for, for studying marketing is financial decision-making and how emotions can, can sway that mechanism. Mm -hmm. So just getting back to what you aim to accomplish with delay discounting is you're aiming to accomplish by asking you, you know, if I asked you about uh, marshmallows and and the difference between how many you'd want now, or sorry, one now versus however many later in a given time delay to make you change your mind back and forth. Mm -hmm. Once I find that sweet spot, which is unique to you, that's what's called your indifference point. So Mm -hmm. you're now at a point where you're indifferent about either option. And that is where marketers need to know, where that point is for a certain demographic psychographic and segment of the market. So, okay. So
0: we're trying to really, everyone's got their own unique threshold for when they're really willing to make that switch.
1: And that's why you, you know, you naturally find these segments of the market between, you know, luxurious goods, more for more goods, less for more goods. Like, you know, anybody that's listening to this podcast, that's taken a intro marketing course, you know, all of these terms, right? Like, uh, am I offering a more for more service? Am I a Hilton hotel where it's very expensive, but I'm offering more? Am I a less for less like a Ramada in, uh, ec- economy where it's right. cheap, but it's pretty. The yeah, it doesn't exactly. work and the pool's closed and, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. got a few cockroaches in, a in the closet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You got an iPhone waiting for you there. It's just, <laughs> <holy> <laughs> um, so yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, so it's the idea of understanding where this financial decision making really changes for you, and and you know you can see how the clientele just by virtue of the demographic of people that would go to a Hilton versus a Ramada economy are different. Sure. You know you wouldn't get the 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 C-suite executive trying to find the next Ramada economy, right? And you wouldn't see the person that is um, living in a. Uh, lower income part of a neighborhood, try to really find a, uh, you know, if they're traveling, try to stay at as many Hiltons as possible, right? Like, so now as a marketer, you can, you know, you can use the, you know, the demographic insight in terms of who you're studying for what product and, 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 and having this insight of financial decision-making, as well as how people change as a function of their delayed discounting what's called their log K value or their parameter and the, their, and their hyperbolic curve, because essentially Whoa, as you slow down, my friend, okay, as you, as, <laughs> as you, so, so let's just yeah, call, yeah. let's just call the data I get on you, your, your curve and, and your oh, curve, independent cool. curve of just because you answer 30 different questions about 30 different scenarios around mm-hmm. how many marshmallows and how much time delay. And I'm able to sort of plot all those decisions onto a, a graph a curve, and turn sure. it into a parabolic function. And that gives me a little bit more of insight in terms of how your decision at this end of the, of the, of the curve would change hyper. It's hypersensitive to this area, but you're really flexible when it gets into the, into the higher amounts of time. Like for you, maybe after five years, there isn't as big of a difference in psychological value when it comes to time. Between five years and ten years, but there's a large difference between three and five years. Right. So basically that's the axes why,
0: here, though, the axes are time on the on the horizontal x-axis and amount yeah. on the on the on yeah. the y-axis.
1: No, it's actually subjective value on the on the y-axis. It's how subjective much subjective value. value you have over time. So where does the, the amount of um the, the amount is in the scenario itself? So if I'm asking you how many marshmallows, like would you rather have one marshmallow? now or seven in a week, it's always the same anchor point of the first question. So it's, it's never going to be two now versus seven in a week. It's okay. always one now versus X at a given time delay. Right. So it, it sure, just starts. Okay. So I, I never changed the pre like the anchor yeah. point. So you
0: know? basically just, so, just so I can fully get this then yeah. the Y axis is essentially kind of like, um, almost like marshmallows per amount of time is the unit. Sure. No. You can think of it that way. Right? Yeah. You can think of it. I just that want way. to make You're sure that difference. we've accounted for the number of marshmallows. That's what <laughs> I
1: don't want any marshmallow so left it, behind. Again, you know, sometimes arguably the deeper I get into thinking about this problem of subjective value and psychological value that changes obviously on a subjective basis, you really start to get yourself a headache, right? Because you understand that, you know, while Jeremy and I might differ on the subjective value of a marshmallow, we obviously differ on the subjective value of an iPhone and a thousand other more things. Everything else, yeah. And when it comes to what a marketer's job really is, is it's to develop a model that allows companies, large companies that invest billions of dollars every year into their marketing and advertising to be able to actually know what they're doing. Think about what that really means, right? Like, you know, how much, you know, how much money companies like Coke and uh, Coca-Cola and PepsiCo pump into advertising and marketing and TV space and airtime. Yeah. And do you know how much, you know, how much they would also need to invest in models to measure the performance of that? Because while you know that if you release a commercial on the Super Bowl airtime, that your sales might go up, you, you want to know why they go up. You want to know, mm-hmm. was it the, was it the sexual attractiveness of the people in the ad? Yeah. Was it the fact that, you know, uh, a Jenner sister like opened a, opened a, uh, <laughs> Hey, hey, hey. Well, and yeah, it's just like the most controversial thing, Yeah, right? yeah.
0: but like, we need to go. It, this is not a political podcast, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jeremy edits this out. We don't want to get flagged. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. So it's just the idea that like, because then, you know, what's funny is that, you know, ads like that, that cause so much controversy <laughs> still creating brand awareness. Right. And maybe not, maybe not the brand awareness you want, but you know, your sales might still go up. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you need to know why, your consumers are acting a certain way, and it's and it's paradigms like delayed discounting that aim to answer the ultimate why and not the proximate how, right? Which is oh,
0: ultimate you know. proximate. Okay, sure. Yeah. Which, there is which, one you know, question if, though that I have, yeah. which is which is um, so to me there seems like there's kind of a bit of a bit of like this this barrier between sure. the research you're doing. Sure. of where you're actually sitting people in front of a screen or in an interview and you're asking them to compare the value
1: of two things
0: versus yeah. let's say pepsi runs an ad for their beverage during the super bowl like what yeah, if ecological what if pepsi, ecological
1: if pepsi, validity is is a nightmare for a right. marketer, so, marketing graduates sure.
0: what if what if pepsi had an ad in the super bowl where they were like pepsi would you rather one pepsi now or seven <laughs> Pepsi
1: at the end of the week you know what i mean like couldn't we do no, that? Oh, no, no, and no. what is the yeah. value so of that, that, that that's you, show, you know that, what I mean? that is a that's a big 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 jump. That is very big. So this is and this is what I think this podcast really aims to get at is it's addressing this gap, right? Because yeah. in order to study things this? in order to study things in academia, what do we need to do? We need to break them down to the most smallest fundamental things that we can manipulate. Mm-hmm. Right? We need to take, we need to take a little bit of this, whatever this means in terms of psychological value, product X, and we need to manipulate it with a variable that we know to be influential and delay discounting, which is time. And we study that and we study it in the most, most robust way, right? And every, anybody that's, you know, in, and graduate students listening to this and, you know, even if you're not really academically inclined or even research inclined, like it's just the idea that academia has to study things from such a robust standpoint and how they're applied in the real world. It's so different, so different. And I think that what I've tried to do with my thesis is the way I explain delayed discounting is not how I'm necessarily using it when 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 I'm involving it in my thesis. And the way that I involve it in my thesis is I try to make it as salient and relatable as possible to an actual financial cost scenario that any of my participants are going to actually incur in their real life. Right. So in my undergraduate thesis, we looked at, you know, it was, it was, it was a credit card scenario. So everybody, every student is familiar with debt, right? Every student that's gone to university in North America, they know what debt's like. So, and in Quebec, we're fairly well off. So we, you know, we're preaching to the choir here, but anywhere else in Canada, you know, it's pretty expensive. You know, you're used to having to make payments on something. uh, And if you don't have, if you don't have student debt and you have a mortgage, it's a fairly similar thing look at how much you pay towards the principal versus the interest every month. And you'll, and you'll cry. It's the idea that, you know, you have a credit card that, you know, let's say you have a thousand dollars on your credit card. You can either choose to incur a cost, uh, a smaller cost now, or a, or a larger amount later. And this is playing exactly to the whole 0% down. Don't make any payments for 36 months. That's what that's paying. For. That's what that's playing to. Right. Would you rather incur this amount now or that amount later? Right. And so that is. The financial decision-making cost that consumers are a lot of the time presented with,
0: okay. right? And so I've seen that before. I'm not asking thousands. with cars, zero percent APR financing, whatever that means. But what's the catch, Austin? What, what happens after 36 months? Why yeah, should I obviously. not do that though? Like, why should I not pay everything now?
1: Well, what 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 companies like you know yeah, any automotive company in their financing department, obvi- what they're obviously Mazda. not going to put in their yeah. Cause they both drive Mazda threes. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mazda yeah. Mazda gang. Yeah, exactly. Mazda three gang. Uh, okay. So what those companies obviously do not mention in their advertisements is that when you opt for that low initial cost, that doesn't come with no negative repercussions. Of course not. You have a massive financing rate that you have to incur after that period of, you know, 36 months. It's like, are you serious? You're going to give me a car or a very expensive piece of furniture and not make me make a payment for three years. And then you're going to hit me with like a 12% financing rate that will last me seven years. So in, in nine years from now, I'm going to be paying off a fridge that's worth a fifth of what I'm paying. Like, it's like, right. it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And what people do not see, and again, this is now getting into what I think, <laughs> this is my personal opinion, for but sure. it's just like, I always found that so interesting as a kid, right? Like how it's like, what? I don't have to like, what do you mean financing? Like why would I pay more for something if I could avoid
0: it? (laughs) There was something really great that was mentioned on your podcast this past week, which is uh, some quote from summer, which says, if you can't buy it twice, you can't buy it or you can't afford it. If you can't afford it twice, you can't afford it. And that basically guarantees that you never get caught up in this, in this APR financing. beeswax. So there you and go. And this was a
1: very wise, very wise person that told, well, the co host of my podcast, Ammer. We know this person that told him that. And, mm-hmm. you know, that person's highly successful in, in real estate. And he was just like, you know, if you cannot afford the renovation on this property twice, you can't afford it. Mm-hmm. Because, and, and we're in no better time, right, than right now, than the present, than to explain what the hell that really means, right? Imagine if you went and spent. All your money on a new car on March 10th. Yeah, like that's why. Bad time for new car. That's why. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. So if you would have followed that rule of you know if you can't afford it twice you can't afford it, you bought a new car. You had to have twice the amount of money. Well now you're still out half half your liquidity but you could still have a bit of money put away for you know, a rainy day or a global pandemic. <laughs> so uh, if your if your job is, in, is at risk, right. So, you know, and, and really delayed discounting, we can get, we can kind of step out of my thesis for a bit because I think that that ultimately is, is really particular. And is a narrow viewpoint, delayed discounting is present everywhere. It's present in what you eat. It's present in what you and in, in who you hang oh, out eat. with. How so? Would you rather have a chocolate bar right now? because you're, you know, your cognitive resources are running low and you're you're feeling a little bit more impulsive? Or would you rather have, uh, you know, would you rather, you know, work really hard, get in really good shape and then be able to process uh, higher caloric food at a, at a faster rate with your, Whoa. you know, like- Okay, yeah, that's, like,
0: okay. So it's like non-financial uh, delay. Well, no, it's accounting. just like,
1: you know, like I, I, I'm i somebody, like I've talked about on my podcast multiple times. I used to be uh 250 pounds. Like I used to be quite overweight. Your muscle. And I st- I, I'm struggling- <laughs> <laughs> that's what my, that's what my dad would say actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, not, not the case. Um, so, you know, I used to be quite heavy and, and I, and I've struggled with my weight my whole life. And so that's something that I can directly relate to. Sure. Uh, you know, I'm maybe I'm, I'm a stronger decision maker when it comes to financial weaker decision maker when it comes to what I'm putting in my mouth. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like, and so like, and what food I'm eating.
0: So wait, that's actually crazy though, because you said before that there are individual differences of delay discounting in like a now there's individuals
1: between categories. So so now
0: there's like like in inter-subject differences and intra-subject differences. So for sure. That, yeah. that makes your, your thesis even, even more specific. Dense.
1: Well, it's even more right? dense because now, you know, I, I'm going to write up this paper about how, you know, person X from this demographic is actually better, better equipped to handle financial decisions. However, they could be 300 pounds. But what mm-hmm. does that say about their decision making? Right. You know? So it's like, I, I know very, very successful people that have terrible habits. Sure. And it's like, that's what, deli- that, that's the lead discounting. You know, like that's, would you rather have a little bit now or more later? And that is present in, sorry, would you rather have X amount now or or Y later? And how that gets presented to you is so unique in every circumstance. And I think that, you know, listeners to this podcast right now could even think of a few on their own. Like, what are some things that in the past two months you opted for the shorter term? You know, like think about, you know, I, I, I own a business. I, I know re- I own a residential painting business. You know what I'm struggling with the most right now is finding people to work for me, mm-hmm, think about I how absurd it. that is. Think about how absurd that is. I'm hiring during a global pandemic and I've spent like, and I've exhausted a ton of, you know, time resources in recruiting the right people that I need to work in my business. You know why I can't find people? What? Guess.
0: Because of CERB.
1: Serb. What is CERB? It's the now. It's the, now. It's, 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 it's the, it's, would you rather have X now or Y later? Would mm-hmm. you rather have $2,000 a month now, or would you rather earn more than $2,000 a month with me or with any other employer that's hiring and, and work for uh, like secure full-time employment? Like, yeah. what is that Put the is effort that, in is now? That, right. Like, yeah. Hard choice. Like, you know, it, but to me, it's not a hard choice, but to a lot of people it is. And, and, and I, and that's why I really went to go into, I really wanted to go into this discipline of study. Cause I really want to understand the mechanisms of why people make these decisions. You know, what are the variables that marketers need to manipulate to actually get people to, to change their behavior. And what, what is really important to recognize just on this, on this path of SERB and not to go off on too much of a tangent here, mm-hmm. you know, I, I truly think that, you know, and SERB and is there for a reason. SERB is there because if you do not have employment and you need to actually survive, that's what SERB is there for, Right. right. And when you're not, when you're taking CERB unjustly in terms of, you know, I took CERB for a bit. I didn't know how my business was going to do at all for a period of three months. Like I, we had no, we had no data to, 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 to build a trajectory on. Like we just were like, you know, there's, we might go into a recession. the, The real estate market might crash. We had nothing to go on. So I took CERB twice, but as soon as my business got back on its feet, none of, none of the people that were working in the management side of my business were taking CERB anymore. And when we took a, we took an oath to not do that because what happens in the economy when that happens is you know you get people turning down work to get free money. Right. That's what leads to. That's what leads to a what's called a recession. Right. Like, <laughs> Which we're trying to like avoid people, in the first place. Like yeah exactly. So it's, it's 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 absolutely insane that people would do that. And and I think that you know it's going to be really fun as an employer myself in the next five years sitting people down at a job interview and going what did you do in 2020? <laughs> yeah. You know, that's going to
0: separate. That's going to separate. What what did you hire. do?
1: yeah, what did you do in, in the summer of 2020? You know, and do you, do you have people that I can call that will actually validate what you're saying in terms of having absolutely zero employment opportunity, right? Like this is something that's really, really important because I think that a lot of people start to overvaluate the immediate $2,000 a month and they start to completely, and you know, what's even funny, Jeremy is in, is in these situations, you don't even know that there's an, there's a why, like a why variable. You don't even know that there's something that you're overlooking by choosing CERB, right? Like to not even have.
0: So the uncertainty kind of paralyzes people then, no? Like, when
1: people opt to not actively seek employment anymore because of CERB, they don't know that they're necessarily giving up on that opportunity in four years at a job interview. They might not see sure. the immediate repercussions. They might not be able to immediately link the two. Well, so, okay, but here's the
0: difference between the, the stuff you've been doing in your research and the current reality yeah. with Serp—is yeah. In your research, you're saying, I'm going to guarantee you at some point down the line, you're going to have X amount of things, money. or For sure it is, yeah. Whereas now, there is no guarantee. So people love a nice, juicy guarantee. So
1: this is actually, I love, I love that you brought up the idea of guarantee. And I think that... You know, do you really think, Jeremy, that if you didn't take serve and sought employment like your life depended on it, mm-hmm. f- found a job that actually was harder to find, and the only reason you found it is because you chose not to take serve and you chose to go find a job? And I get that, like that may be impossible for some people given their market right now. I don't think it's possible to go work for an airline or a hotel right now. Right, right, but I it's possible to work for
0: Austin Trudeau painting.
1: <laughs> so get out there, it, folks. It, yeah, it could be, and and so. This isn't coming from the basis of my business anymore. Like I'm a residential painting company in rural Udaewa. Like I, I'm such a microcosm on the right. on the economy. <laughs> like it's like it's it's Don't really just about like egg, land, land. <laughs> like like you know we're talking about the economy of of the country and yeah. and and even at the provincial level, you know it's like you can't even start to link the two together. Mm-hmm. And so you know what you end up getting is someone that thinks oh, there's no guarantee if I don't take the CERB. What am I going to do? I completely agree with you. There is zero guarantee that what you do. However, this kind of touches on the end of my bio that you read. Mm-hmm. Right, is Austin truly believes that is or is fascinated by the study of how one's mindset ultimately determines the course of their life. Right. right? Mm-hmm. If you believe that there's no guarantee, and this might sound a little bit kooky to some people, okay? Like this is this is really some... I guess more so along the lines of philosophical uh, thinking and mindset training is like, if you really do believe that if you, if you don't take CERB that you're going to completely end up in a, just a zero net negative situation, Mm -hmm. then you will. Like if you believe that you're not going to go and actually seek employment, like your life depended on it. And like you actually were trying to make a difference. But if you actually worked, because the difference now as an employer that you have to realize is you're, you're competing for not $2,000 a month. You're competing for the Delta between what you pay them and, and the, and the 2000, right? So if I pay, if I pay painters $3,000 a month, they're really only earning a thousand because they can get two for free.
0: Ooh, ooh, right. Okay. I mean, that's, so that's, that's something that
1: they're working 80 hours a month. Sorry. They're working 160 hours a month Mm
0: -hmm.
1: for a thousand dollars. Well, Yes, but well, that's the way they look at it. I don't agree with it. But that's the way that people look at it. Right?
0: It's 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 the way the people who you're not going to hire are looking at it.
1: Yes, for because sure. and, and ultimately and you're curse. making
0: three thousand though. Like like technically you yeah. are making every dollar. It's just that the amount of effort that you're putting in is yeah, yeah only yeah. getting you so much more, right. It's yep, the it's 100%. base level, basically. Marginal like before, increase. You were saying when you're when you're plotting my curve, the base level we're we're comparing everything to is one marshmallow now, and so you're offering people three thousand dollars, some random number. We're just picking up three thousand yeah, yeah. dollars yeah. compared to two thousand, which reduces your value, your perceived yeah. value, right? Yeah. To as you said, the delta or the difference between those two. Yeah. So that unfortunately is the problem on the part of. The people, not on you. You're still offering and, and, and employment. And this is the, and this and is the more thing. Is than
1: I can't even really complain, to be quite honest with you, because this whole idea of CERB has done me a huge favor awesome. as an employer. Uh, while it may be hard to recruit, it's also easier to, like, it, it naturally selects all bad applicants out of your funnel. Mm-hmm
0: good point. Very good point.
1: So it's actually, you know, this year more than ever, I don't, I'm not, not really firing anybody. They're just leaving. They didn't <laughs> even it. show up. I didn't have to, I didn't have to invest hours of training them, paying for them to get certified, going to working at Heights training, all of these things. And then it's a net negative activity for everybody because, you know, they just end up being a really bad employee and, and right. I have to let them go. Or, or, and I would say that's actually quite a rare circumstance. However, that has happened before and it hasn't happened yet this year. The people that I've hired have been amazing, but they are about seven times harder to find. So right. it's a bit of give and take, right? I think that if you look at the decision making, like the study of decision making is one thing I've always been fascinated in because, like we've just discussed and like we found from this discussion, it's applicable in so many different scenarios. Like 100%. you could apply this to your relationship with your partner your relationship with your parents, you can apply this with, you know, the decisions you made at the grocery store a few hours ago, like it's so, so, so applicable. And I think that, I guess not applicable, uh, diverse in terms of its effects. Right. Right. The, 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 I get that the um, the situation of a marshmallow is not applicable, but the idea of the phenomenon. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. 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 I hope that that kind of provided some insight into what, you know, the research that I'm doing aims to accomplish and kind of why it's, you know, that, that that's really my why. It's because I I, I kind of operate, there's, you know, two different sides of my life really. And one of them is uh, day-to-day operations of a business that exists in the world. And the other side is is the uh, academic side of, of conducting research where I'm aiming to you know, study things very profoundly and very specifically to the point where I can manipulate and change minor variables and observe the resulting difference in the, the, the behaviors of participants. And so you're actually in a very
0: unique position. Sorry. Well, no. that's what
1: I was going to say is, is I have both of those things. And that's really what I think it, they go hand in hand, because I think a lot of people do one or the other and it really yeah. leads to a large disconnect between the, what, what, what business students are studying and what actually gets practiced in the real world. And I think that this is why you have more and more people saying, oh, I, I did my degree in X, but I'm doing Y. Totally unrelated. Or even people that say, I did my degree in X and I'm working in X, but I'm not using anything I learned. Like that's what makes me want to run through a wall. Is like imagine you spend four years and thousands of dollars of your time and money and, you know, you just, and you, you learn, you know, you work your ass off, you get a degree in psychology, you know, and then you go and get a, and then you go and get a degree, at, or then you go and get a job as a, well, psychology is highly generalized, but you go and get a job, let's say as a, um, Painter as for a Austin, first painting business. <laughs> no, no, as, as a, as a, as a, as a manager at the, um, I don't know let's say you're a manager at a high-end restaurant, okay? Okay. So you're actually actually responsible for managing people and your degree was in psychology, human behavior. Mm -hmm. And are you using the direct things that you memorized from that textbook? No. But if you have the dichotomy of the areas of your life that you're focusing your time in, working at the high-end restaurant and pursuing graduate studies and researching how the impacts of management style can impact, uh, you know, employee retention, low turnover rates and, you know, work-life balance perceived by your employees. Now that is a killer combination, right? So like, is your issue then with people saying
0: a, that they're, that these two parts of their life are incongruent or is it like, is it the fact that people don't recognize that they actually can apply what they've learned or is it that they um, don't follow? I don't think path? that
1: anybody, yeah, I don't think that there's like that. anything wrong. I'm not I'm I I I like I'm not trying to to come at this from a place of uh
0: no, it's all light. You know, it's, it's all light.
1: Yeah, well, there there's no there's no reason to say that somebody that pursues and spends all of their time in academia are doing things wrong. That's that's not what I'm saying. At all. No, 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 for sure not. And that's not what I'm saying like, you know, some people that, you know, I have this I have this debate with my friend Brad Uh, who I grew up with, went to elementary school with, known him since we were kids. And we just took completely different routes in our life, right? Like I went to university, the typical, you know, academia route. And it was only when I got into business once I was kind of ending my, my uh, undergrad. And he really just, you know, went to high school and then worked a bunch of different jobs and ended up finding something he's really passionate about, which is cooking. And he's now, you know, a very skilled cook and, and is, and is so, so obsessed with, with, and in a really good way, you know, wine pairing and food and cooking. And he makes the most amazing meals for our friends. And when we gather, it's just, so it's such a treat to have, to have Brad cook for us. And, mm-hmm. you know, he just, we always debate this is he's like, Oh, you know, the classic debate is like, you know, Austin went to university and wasted his time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And he went to, he went to university, he memorized all those textbooks and, you know, he got a bunch of those grades. And every time I talk about, you know, behavior and psychology, he just goes like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, you know, you're regurgitating the that textbook. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, he went and took the more practical um, application of, of learning a skill, and I know a lot of people do that with trades and with actually learning something that you can apply and actually use the skills, like the the, the tangible skill set that you use with your hands, and to actually you know learn a skill that's worth money in the market. And we debate this a lot, and I'm not really ever debating, I, we're, and it's it's not really a debate, it's just a conversation. But it's it's the idea that there's nobody really doing it wrong. It's just the idea that. By virtue of just being present in those two different areas, you know, having a business, going to school, gives me peace of mind to know that there are disconnects between those two and and to to be aware of them. And, you know, have I, I, I've definitely applied what I've learned in my research and my results into my business. And I've definitely learned, I've definitely applied what I've learned in my business in terms of real life action in the field, managing people, meeting clients, selling. And marketing my business, and, and to teach me how to do things better, and 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 to bring up critical discussions in my seminars with my peers, and and you know, hey, I did this, and this worked for me, and I'm a residential painting company, and I have people in my seminars that you know work for cigarette companies, and they're they're they're, they're advertising cigarettes, which is a highly regulated you know thing. Now is that illegal? We have other people? Yeah, well, now it now is yeah, and it, at the okay. time when we were in the and when we were in the seminar, it was it was it just became illegal, and oh. um, mm-hmm. and so it was a really interesting discussion. Anyway those discussions are so much more critical uh, because of the experiences you have. And I would just challenge anybody that's highly invested in academia, you know, like, cause, cause I used to look up like, and I, sorry, I didn't used to, I still do. as a kid in university at at 1918, I was like, man, I can't get that 4.0. I can't get that A plus in every class. And I knew people that could. And to those people, I'm just sharing that, you know, I had what I thought was a, lower advantage in going to graduate school because I didn't have that, you know, because I didn't have the perfect grades and I really just used what I learned from trying to apply what I learned from school in real life through a business or through a job to allow myself to complement a graduate degree more or just in a better way. So I I guess I'm just trying to say that there's, there's many, many ways to get to, if you're really excited about the possibility of doing a master's degree or pursuing graduate studies, you know, the 4.0 or a plus route is definitely one that works and we know it works. And what I'm trying to say is there's so many different ways through building relationships with the right people and having something that accents your academic success really well, like job experience is, is so important. So, yeah, I know it's I'm great. I'm glad you mentioned
0: that for sure. Yeah. They're definitely like getting into grad school, succeeding in grad school. It isn't like a one size fits all kind of deal. Um, there is no one correct mm-hmm. route to get in. Of course. Yeah. If you, if you have great grades and that's going to help, but it but there are other ways. And like you kind of experienced in your meeting with Aaron Johnson, it, you know, this guy didn't want to see your,
1: your resume. He just wanted to talk to you. And so it actually, I know, and even you know matter. what, Aaron is probably, you know, sorry to any psych undergrads or grad students that are listening to this podcast, Aaron is probably what I think like the best, you know, lab director and, and, you know, I mean, he's and the he, dean like the best of the entire thesis su- supervisor that, uh, he's the chair of the psychology the chair. Yeah. He totally deserves it. He, he is one of the easiest people to talk to with concerns, very caring guy. And, you know, not the least bit of ego. And it was, it's so, he's so approachable and he's really responsible for, uh, the, the short tenure of academic success that I've had. And, you know, I think that, um, Aaron actually has a PhD in engineering.
0: Really? Yeah. PhD. Like, what, what did he do before that?
1: So he was studying engineering, and, and he actually, you know, I'm actually not going to answer this because I know I can't do it enough justice. So I think okay. we're a, you're a going to have to get Aaron on this podcast, or B, actually just ask him when you see him in the hall. Whenever you we could pull a Brandon
0: for me and connect me with Aaron Johnson. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah I will. Actually, I'll pull a Brandon. Yeah, I'll connect you guys. I'll set up a meeting. Bring your resume, man. Make sure you do I shan't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's great. And I think that uh, the, the reason I just wanted to share about that idea of path to graduate school is it's really just for people like me, right? Who, who are like in that little gray area of like kind of has good enough grades, but not quite in terms of like some people just write it off and they get way, way too competitive with it. And I think that it's such an unhealthy space to be living in When you're trying to compete with other students for sure you know like your academic success has no impact on other people and just like their academic success should have no impact on you it isn't just that though
0: it's easy to compete about grades because it's it's quantifiable and it's easy you you say hey what's your gpa oh yours is this mine is this and you could put put them on a direct hierarchy but you can't compare and we can personality yeah you know the way that you'll interview and the way that you can apply things that you've learned So yes, compare yourself, but there are so many dimensions that you can't actually do that on in a, in a realistic way.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's something that, uh, that it's hard to really conceptualize because as, as though we've discussed already, Jeremy, like there's so many different ways that you could get to graduate school. (laughs) Like there's not, there's could
0: actually try to not get in there and you might end up in there by accident. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If you've got, if, if the stars are aligned, for sure. There are people that, you know, who, who like, uh, go back to grad school once they've already had tons of work experience. Like you're saying, sometimes that actually is what you need. hundred
1: percent, man. I've, I've that sat experience. in class with people already in that situation. There's so yeah. many different ways for sure. And, yeah, uh, I, I, I released, I know that you've listened to it cause I know you're an avid listener of, of our, of the weekly call of the podcast that I do. And, uh, the, the one of the most recent episodes was about the need to impress, you know, yeah. the need to impress people, you know, in academia flaunting a 4.0 is the equivalent of driving a new sports car down the street, right? Like it's, it's, it's a nice thing to have. Don't get me wrong. Like my intro letter. Do you think Jeremy wrote that? No, he obviously asked me to write that. And I had to put things in there that actually made you, the listeners think of me in a way that you wanted to listen to me you know, and I could have said, you know, you know, Austin used to be 250 pounds struggle with his weight and used to be somebody that didn't quite think he was capable of of going to graduate school. And, uh, and, you know, I, and, and, and coming out from, from, from that point of view, I would have been maybe perceived as more authentic, but definitely not somebody more legitimate. Uh, th- there's the way to market yourself, uh, that, <laughs> that, that, that can definitely impact the way people perceive you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Talk about your so. weight
0: and your past, especially the negative <laughs> parts of your past that you maybe that you yeah. really resent to a certain yeah, degree yeah. have overcome. For sure. That's the trick. For sure. There yeah. is a question that I'd like to ask because honestly, I'm sure that we could chat about anything from A to Z. Oh man, yeah. But what I do want to ask yeah. is a question that I've asked to all of my guests so far. And it's what I'd like to yeah. finish this off with. For um, sure. Which is, how would you describe yourself as an academic in one word or phrase? And how would you describe yourself as a non-academic? And this could be just as a person. Oh, wow.
1: That's an amazing question. How congruent
0: are those two things?
1: Mm, What a great question. I love that you asked that to all your um, your interviewees. How would I describe? I'm going to try to do the one word uh, because I think that's more impactful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, As an academic, I would say I'm always coming at academia, especially in my readings from a highly skeptical standpoint. And it's not, and it's not, it's not negative. It's really not negative. It's just about challenging the way people study things academically, because I, I, I'd like to think that I have a semi-decent understanding of how those variables interact in the real world. And I get that it's nowhere near where it can be, but that's how I like to view research. Is it applicable? So I'm, I'm, I'm always coming at it from a skeptical viewpoint.
0: Okay. That's the word skeptical. Skeptical. Yeah. Great.
1: Mm-hmm. The um oh, this is a really self-reflecting question because I'm I'm realizing how oppositional these words are gonna be. <laughs>
0: that's that's uh, great, man. whatever it is. Yeah, it.
1: yeah, yeah. No, that's an awesome question, man.
0: Um unless word's gullible, I, I think you're good.
1: <laughs> On the academic yeah. side. Uh, and from the non-academic side, I guess you could say I'm Hmm. Highly uh, like in my life as an academic or as a non-academic, how do I view what myself?
0: In the same way that you selected the word skeptical, the way that that yeah, defines you as an I academic. I
1: act skeptical. And in a non-academic standpoint, I act. Um,
0: I wouldn't say that you act skeptical, but, but when, when, it, when, the, when the environment presents you with information, your immediate reaction is skepticism. In the right. real world, when you interact with the environment and with people, your initial reaction is... Or at least, like, kind of the 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 overarching uh, mental state, mindset. Maybe you could think of it that way. Your mindset. You're really interested mindset. Is skeptical in academia. In real life, what's yeah. your what's your mindset?
1: Um, I'm. I the the word that comes into my head that I really don't think I, I'm 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 hesitant to say because sure. I don't think it's necessarily a a an accurate representation. But Good. optimistic. And okay. the reason I say optimistic is because. I, when I meet people, uh, through the, like, if we're talking about, you know, academia and then non-academia, which I would see as more. So my professional experience or, or, or job experience or with my business is, uh, I'm optimistic about the results I can get given what I've learned or given, given the people I have on my team or the people I'm working with. So I'm mm-hmm. highly optimistic with the results I'm able to achieve with, you know, what I've learned in, in my industry and, and what, uh, and, and the people I've hired and trained and how capable we are of going to get a good result. So I'm actually really I, happy I, to
0: hear that you chose optimistic. Cause, uh, earlier in your podcast, you mentioned you had a lot of trouble with, with trust and yeah, that, to me would yeah. totally impinge on your optimism. If you couldn't even trust people to No, you know
1: what? You know what? You know what? The it's it's very, very counterintuitive. And as I as I I I, I gave away fifty percent of my business to my co-owner now, who's amazing, and he manages all things production, everything relating to production of work and and all that. So it's uh it's making sure that we really get at the idea of I didn't trust anybody else but me for the first couple months of giving up half of my business, and that was actually when we were, you listened to that episode. So that's, that's great that you hung on to that because Mm -hmm. since that time, which was, I think maybe even only a month and a half or so ago, a lot has changed and and he's really just proven to me that there's, it's really not worth my, my feeling of, for the need of control. It's really just the idea of, you know, he, you know, he, he just really wants the idea to to be trusted and I saw that. And so now I'm really seeing that, you know, my distrust in anybody that's in my business is just completely ironic and totally net negative activity because I hired them, I trained them, and I think they can do good work. So where's the no trust coming from? You know, like like it is just, it's is a totally, totally a me problem. Sense. Yeah. So I think that, you know, last year, you know, from the first year of operation to the second year, we grew like 225%. And I still didn't trust people, believe it or not. And it only took to work and it still and it still took until now to actually say, Hey, um, what the hell? I can call myself up for that, that way of being. And so now I'm, I'm highly optimistic with the idea that, you know, it doesn't matter what project we're on or who we're dealing with. It, we just have the people and the, and the procedures to go and do this really well. So it's interesting now that you, that you pair the two, right? Optimistic versus skeptical. Okay. Well, clearly I have a I love motivation. The and, yeah. It's yeah, great. yeah. Yeah. It's, Most it's people so say, dic- well,
0: it's the same word I am, you know, no, it's way so in one and this way and the other, which and, is fine. And, uh, I don't want to yeah. color those those people in, in the wrong light, but I have been waiting for like a juicy, uh, yes. you know, completely opposing. Yes, yes, because yes. Anyways, we get a whole other episode about, about these two words. So maybe we'll do that at some point. But yeah, skeptical, optimistic, I think those, those complement each other because they operate on different levels of the way that you focus hyper focused in academia and maybe a more general approach, um, you know, like a general outlook on personal life level.
1: So 100%. And, and I think that, you know, like you said, you and I could talk forever and I think, you know, I'm glad we met in the course we took together this past semester. I think that, uh,
0: super random. I uh, never thought I would even do something like that too. I was like, I got an email about it and I said, Hey, this could be interesting. For and now all of class. a
1: sudden, and and I think that, you know, if you look at like, just think about the the, the mm-hmm. odds, you know, that we're even sitting here right now is that if you're saying that, that because of something that I did, which is uh, the podcast I have that made you want to kind of go start this, which I absolutely love, and the idea that you got an email one day that put you in a class next to me, then we got to know each other, did a group project together. You found out how to podcast, started listening to it. Yeah, you, you can listen to it a lot. It and then you back. started yours, and then the and then you and then you trace me. Okay, well, this started if if it's somewhat to do f- from Austin. Okay, well, why did he start his podcast? Okay, right. well, he 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 actually worked for a painting uh, company that you know. F- four years ago, the only reason he knew about that job opportunity was because the guy he grew up with owned it. And if he didn't know that guy and he didn't play hockey with him, then he wouldn't have owned the business. And then he wouldn't have been on the podcast. It's like, yeah. what, you know, and it's just like, it's, if you
0: keep going backwards, 380,000 years yeah. after the big bang, all the quark will <laughs> plasma condense into a cool uniform state, uh, right? You know, you can yeah. obviously go back as far as you want, but
1: no, but it's just the idea of circumstances and the way things end up, which always fascinate me. But dude, this is awesome. I cannot wait to see the uh the, the the people you have on here and the discussions you have i absolutely love this initiative and we will be definitely shamelessly plugging this on our podcast all the time so i awesome, uh, keep man. it up it's, man this was it's been a pleasure thanks having so you on it's kind of yeah.
0: like meta you know just uh
1: for sure it is
0: yeah so anyways yeah. it's been a pleasure thanks a- this has been austin trudeau uh the one and only uh, i'm jeremy this is abstract everybody have a nice morning afternoon or evening thanks for listening if you liked what you heard, you can check us out at abstractcast on Instagram. If you have any feedback, please feel free to leave a comment on the post for the current or any previous episode that you might have listened to. Or if you're a graduate student and you would like to be on the podcast yourself, you can drop us a line at abstractcast at gmail.com. This podcast will be released weekly on Sundays and is also available on Spotify apple podcasts and pretty much everywhere else you're going to find podcasts so feel free to check us out around the internet
1: until then take it easy